Welcome to Vegas Revealed, episode 16. How will the new Las Vegas be marketed to visitors? We talk to a man who has shaped the city as we know it. An interview you don't want to miss. Vegas Revealed is sponsored by The Blind Pig. And you know, Dana, during these times, The Blind Pig over on Dean Martin, just west of the Las Vegas Strip, they're open for pickup and for delivery. Yeah, staying in is the new going out. So keep your family and employees close and safe with a catered lunch from The Blind Pig. Pizza, pasta, sandwiches, or salad brought to your office by their trained and sanitized staff. So go ahead, save on the delivery fee, and save on the exposure. We've both eaten there, and the food is so good. They've got some really great healthy options, too. That's right. And go to theblindpignv.com for more information, or you can call 725-214-4474. It's 725-214-4474. Welcome to Vegas Revealed. I'm Sean McAllister. And I'm Dana Roselli coming to you from our homes because we are staying home. I'm located just next to the Las Vegas Strip. Sean's keeping an eye on the suburbs for us down in Henderson. How's it look? Hey, the suburbs are looking good today, Dana. I got to get out and mow my lawn pretty soon, but that's all right. I can put it off until after our conversation with our guests today. Yeah, we're looking forward to this one. A lot of insight shared here about uh, Las Vegas and what the future looks like. Yeah, and we're not going to waste any time and just get right to it today. We're excited to have with us Nami Abuzaid, who is the founder and president of Launch Vegas, and he has a long resume. We have so much to talk to him about today. Welcome. Hey, Nami. Hey, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, before I go into your your experience, why don't why don't you tell everyone? Uh, I know that you were chief marketing officer of the Golden Knights when they launched. You've worked for the Win. Talk a little bit about your experience and introduce yourself to our audience. Sure, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a lot like you guys. I think I came here 18 years ago and transferred uh, northeasterner and and really, um, you know, Vegas has become my home and I've adapted and and grown with the city. So. Um, you know, I spent nine years with, with Venetian Las Vegas Sands Corporation. I was very fortunate to come and enter the casino business at, at a time where it was becoming a global industry. Um, back then, very few people had heard of Macau, um, and there were really no, no Las Vegas-style casinos in Macau at the time. So I spent nine years opening properties for them and, and uh, you know, doing headliner deals on the Las Vegas Strip for entertainment for them. And uh, I was also lucky enough later to to go run brand marketing for Win Las Vegas for four years, um, which which I really think is the top luxury brand in the industry, um, Vegas and and globally, um, and I feel it still is. And so that was tremendous uh, work experience. And then I got recruited by Bill Foley, owner of the Golden Knights, to to go uh, be his first chief marketing officer of of what I really felt was a historic. Um, you know, pro sports team that ushered in the the new era in Las Vegas. So that was that was a really a big privilege for me and a big thrill. And and I was there when we unveiled the brand and the logo and sold the first T-shirts and caps. And uh, that that was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got to ask you just on the the Golden Knights uh, front. Um, 
were you there when there were discussions going on about Chance, the mascot? <laughs> you know, I was there. We did the early drafts of what's it going to look like, what's the animal, what's the creative. You know, look, I was in sketches, basically. <laughs> um, and then Chance, Chance came a little after I left, but it was an iterative process. So we considered a lot of different animals and, uh, you know, the, the, you need a furry mascot and you need a sharp edge mascot. So that's why they kind of have two. Um, but you got to have something huggable for the kids. It's just, it's part of sports. And, and so we went around from arena to arena, team to team. We did all our due diligence. Um, so, you know, but, but the people after me, uh, you have them to thank for chance, whether you love them or hate them. So. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, let's keep with the Golden Knights because, uh, right. you know, obviously this was a huge thing for Las Vegas and launching something like this. Everyone said that, you know, sports was not going to work in Las Vegas. And I don't say everyone, but a lot of people, big bulk. Um, they didn't right. know if it would work. I'm sure it was a challenge for you. Then, of course, uh, we have the one October shooting that happens right before the season's about to kick off. I mean, all these challenges that you faced, but yet the team just soared and everyone came out to watch this team. What was it like kind of kicking off the marketing for this? Well, you know, it was funny because I, I spent four years at Wynn and Wynn is so pristine and, you know, the furniture's never out of place and there's never anything on the carpet. It's like so perfect that um, I wanted to work in a startup environment and, and I wanted to do something historic. So when I had the opportunity to go over to the team, I was the only local exec they hired. Um, you know, most everyone was a sports exec from a different city, from a different team or a different sport. And they really didn't know Henderson from Summerlin. They really didn't have a lot of that, you know, knowledge of how the casino industry work, how business partnerships and sponsorships work in the city. Um, so I, I added value there. But it was for me, it was like I knew that transplants like us really feel like Vegas has some culture, it has a sense of community, and we just needed a galvanizing element. And, the, and a pro sports team is that galvanizing element. And a homegrown one is even better than a relocated one because it's, it's something that's authentic. So, um, you know, we worked on ad campaigns and creative and I wrote the first style guide for the brand and, and we said what what do the golden knights stand for uh and it was a lot of the the lore of of the military days of Bill Foley and, and you know service and valor and all that stuff so it was fun putting all that together because it truly was a startup mm -hmm. And I, I know you're from, from Boston, Dana and I, both from the Northeast in, in Rochester, New York. So mm -hmm. growing up around, around hockey was just something that was part of, part of growing up. So finally having it be here as a part of you know, our new home was really exciting. Did you find a lot of people having that same sentiment? Oh my goodness. I mean, you can't, swing a dead cat in Vegas without seeing a Golden Knights billboard or t-shirt or license plate. And I remember, you know, putting all that strategy together with the, with the sales team and the, with the operations team of like, here's the blueprint for an NHL team, because, you know, we were the 31st franchise. So there was somewhat of a blueprint, but then we had to adapt that remaining 20% for the uniqueness of Las Vegas. And, you know, the tourists are highly concentrated on the strip. The residents were all spread out across town. So uh, I'll remember we did 
learned escape programs at Desert Breeze Park and other parks in 115 degree weather. We were giving away street, street hockey sticks <laughs> and street hockey balls. And I'm showing the owner, I said, Bill, 3,000 kids in 115 degree weather. I mean, do you know how amazing and transformative this is? Because we're not a cold weather town. You couldn't even buy street hockey equipment at Dick's Sporting Goods or Big Five. And so it really was transformative. But unless you have grassroots support, you'll never have ticket support, um, you know. Uh, and, and we built that grassroots support. And it was, it was just a fun ride and amazing to be a part of. Well, with all your experience, I mean, you've done so much in entertainment and branding and marketing and sports, and now you have um, founded your own company, uh, Launch Vegas, and I know you're doing a lot of consulting, and you're doing um, some consulting with the Madison Square Garden Sphere, too, and I know right now, in this time that we are in, so many people wondering if some of these projects are going to keep going. What do you know about that? And and tell us a little bit about the Sphere, because we always love to know more. We, we see all the renderings, and we're all in awe of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't say much on the um, proprietary side, but it is going to be a transformative project. I really believe that, um, you know, I'm helping them on the strategy side and, and the marketing and such and, and sort of the launch, the launch plan uh, for it itself. But, you know, people need to remember about Vegas, it's it's 80 percent are repeat visitors. So repeat yeah. visitation thrives on new product and, you know, maybe a new restaurant, maybe a new nightclub isn't as transformative, but when you have a building that is going to be almost a new medium unto itself with the, the tech that's going to be inside the building, it's going to be a over 150,000 square foot round screen that'll be above you to the sides of you. It'll be a sensory experience. You'll be able to hear, feel, smell, uh, you know, the entertainment that's, that's, uh, or business that's being done in there. So it, it's going to take really it's gonna be an experience it's so immersive and i know immersive is an overused word these days but um there'll be nothing like it in the world um and it's it's ripe for vegas because vegas thrives on you know iconic era defining projects that 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 at one time people said that's the craziest idea i've ever heard um i mean look at the landscape of las vegas uh it, it's all full of crazy ideas people say you know that that'll never work but but i think this is going to be one of the most transformative projects in a long time and it's actually the most fun project i've been a part of um only because it's it's very light on details right now but but once it's built and once it's open uh people are going to be like oh my god this fits in with las vegas and how entrepreneurial and risk-taking people are here and at the end of the day um you know that gets rewarded in vegas and the sphere construction is, I mean, the, the plans are still moving forward, right? Well, if you read the papers, they, they're formally on a, a construction pause right now, but related to COVID-19, but, but uh, you know, it's still very much, um, you know, one of the, the major uh, multi-billion you know, billion dollar uh, projects uh, that, that's going to happen. So, um, you know, it's it's exciting to be a part of. Um, if you if you drive on Coble and Sands Avenue, you'll see it right there. Uh, and it's really impressive. Um, you know, the design, the footprint and the the technology that's going to be in the building. And and it's funny because a few years ago, people said, oh, there's no there's not enough arenas in Vegas. And now people are saying, are there too many arenas in Vegas? So 
we always tend to overcorrect, but I truly feel like Sphere is is adding something tremendously new to Las Vegas and allowing us to compete on with you know and bring trade shows here that that may not have that may have gone elsewhere, but now they have a, a building like the Sphere where they can do a general session or a major product launch. And that you know puts us over the edge even more. So uh, it's exciting, and it's it's a couple years away, but but it's still very much going. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's exciting right now because I think you know talking about this kind of stuff seems normal, you know. But in this time that we're in, everyone's talking about the challenge of first of all getting Vegas back opened, and then yeah. getting people to come here. So how do you see things going? I mean, just in your perspective, I mean, I know there's got to be phases and there there needs to be a plan. But once we start getting people back, do you think Vegas will be back to normal in a couple of years, a year, three years? Well, I mean, I certainly hope so. It really depends on whether there's a vaccine and then people feel like they can resume their old lives. And and then this, you know, gets to be something like the flu where they just live mm -hmm. with, you know, seasonal th outbreaks that happen. But but certainly if it becomes a, a permanent part of the new normal, then everybody's going to have to come up with protocol. Um, you know, the, the integrated resort experience will be vastly different. Um, you know, can you imagine uh, Encore Beach Club on a Saturday with 3,000 people and a DJ? And can you imagine that with social distancing? I mean, mm -hmm. it's uh, it, it really the value proposition of Las Vegas is the sum of the parts and if you start to strip away those parts then all of a sudden you know the the switching costs of going to a san diego casino you know it becomes an easier decision to somebody um you know it's really about business with like you know what are your barriers to entry and your switching costs can a consumer get a similar experience closer to their homes um you know but i truly think vegas will be back i think in part um the the spirit of americans will be like you know, let me go back to Vegas because it signals that things are back to some normalcy. And I, I think it'll come back. I, I, I severely hope so. The question is, you know, we'll be able to do the, the business at scale that we normally did, or is it going to be a smaller, more curated experience? Well, and speaking of, of smaller experiences, that's obviously not what Vegas was built on. Vegas was built on large scale mm -hmm. experiences. And when you add something like social distancing into the mix, what does that do to the plans and really the infrastructure that's already in place on the Las Vegas Strip? Well, I mean, the you got to think of you got 42 million people highly concentrated on the four mile strip for the most part. And then you have this high overhead costs of these hotels, you know, 7,000 rooms at the Venetian, 2 million square feet of meeting space, you know, they are built for mass tourism and, and they're, they're, the return on investment is only there if you're, you know, if you can meet your overhead demand. So the overhead is extremely high. Um, and I remember in 08, 09, people were cutting room rates like sub hundred dollars a night yeah. because they said we need occupancy. And you know, a lot of the, the people who are really mindful of their brand was like, think about the psychological factor of room rates below a hundred dollars, right? right? How do you sell a, How do you sell a show ticket for 150 and then have room nights for 99? <laughs> and so when you're a luxury brand, that psychology of that, you know, 
comes into mind because it's hard to kind of raise them up again uh, if people in their mind think, oh, that's a hundred dollar hotel. Um, so it, it, it's really, you know, there has to be a significant enough amount of traffic. Um, and then think about what the Raiders were going to bring. Um, you know, I heard a briefing that Raiders had over 30% of season ticket sales were out of market. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas the Golden Knights were more like only 10% were out of market. So, so the Raiders were truly going to bring 20, 30,000 visitors from out of state every Sunday. And, you know, that, that was going to feed the hotels. That was going to have a tremendous multiplier effect to everybody. Um, and all of a sudden, if that's a smaller, uh, event, you know, it has repercussions for all the investment that we made the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and t- yeah, and, and to dive into that, I mean, when when you talk marketing and everything, um, like Sean mentioned, you know, and you mentioned pool parties, uh, you know, bottle service, nightclubs, all, all that we're built on. So when you're marketing right now and you're sitting down to the table, is this something that you think folks are thinking, okay, what are we going to do to just change all that? Maybe maybe come up with a completely different idea, or do you take what you had and try and make it fit, or are we going to see some maybe major changes in in the types of experiences that we see here in a city like Las Vegas. Yeah, I think it, it really, with this new protocol, there'll be kind of immediate, you know, kind of low hanging fruit changes that are made, but then we're going to build it into the consumer experience, you know, in the next six to 18 months, I would say, whether that means, you know, more virtual events and Vegas is, mm-hmm. you know, Vegas is the, uh, sort of location, but only maybe 100 or 200 people attend, but then it's broadcast to 50,000 people around the world, uh, you know, virtual events or, or um, you know, more kind of customized experience. I mean, personalization was really the key to Las Vegas is making a guest feel like they're in a 300 room property, even though they're in a 3000 room property. And that's really hard to do at scale, but like Wynn was excellent at it, Venetian, Aria, Bellagio, you know, there's some really great players that, that are really excellent at doing personalization at scale um, and, and really making you feel like you're a VIP, um, you know, during your three, three night stay in Vegas. And so that's really the key. But yeah, eventually in the medium term, we'd have to innovate our product. Um, think about what we did in the 90s where gaming was 60 percent of revenues of these hotels. And then there, there was this year by year um, transformation and evolution where now when I left Win the last year is like gaming was 30% of revenues and non-gaming right. was 70%. So, right. and that really is, it goes across most of the city, like 60, 40 non-gaming to gaming. And that's because of the new products. But in the eighties, th- those were gourmet rooms were discounted. <laughs> they were all comped. You'd, yeah. Not everything was a revenue center or a profit center. And now in Las Vegas, every division kind of has to stand on their own and, and turn a profit. Well, and, and you, there was a word in there that, that I think is, is really important for this time, and it's innovate. On the surface, you know, we, we hear news reports about how there's a potential, you know, second Great Depression coming. And there's a lot of doom and gloom in in the headlines that we're reading and seeing on TV. But below the surface, is that innovation aspect of this time kind of an exciting thing to watch? Obviously, the circumstances surrounding it aren't 
exciting and, and, and happy, but, but is that process something that, that we should really be looking out for and kind of seeing as a bright spot? Well, I think it's, 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 it's amazing how technology has, has allowed people to pivot really quickly. People like yourself, content producers, even consumer brands, they're, they're starting to pivot. They're starting to deliver product virtually very quickly. Um, so it hasn't taken months. People have responded in days and weeks and, and people have become acclimated to that. And so, so I think consumers are gonna understand that anything that affects Vegas is affecting the tourism industry on a macro level and that Vegas will emerge as a leader in delivering guest service. And traditionally that's been very high touch guest service, but maybe that'll become high tech guest service. And maybe, you know, we'll migrate to areas that, that we were kind of COVID-19 nudged us to get to, but we were gonna get there in two or three years, but maybe we get there in six months instead. Um, so it is, you know, for, you know, everyone thrives on differentiation be, because of the strip because of how concentrated the four miles are, because there's 150,000 plus hotel rooms, differentiation is key. When you go to Excalibur, it's a totally different experience than walking through the lobby of Bellagio. Right. And people that come in back to Vegas over and over, they appreciate that differentiation. And so I think what you're gonna see is the operators on the strip and in downtown, they're really gonna innovate and they're really gonna put their thinking caps on and you'll start to see people compete on cleanliness, compete on, you know, public health scores. There'll, there'll be all these new metrics that come about um, and, and that people are going to start to make their purchase decision based on that. Right. Yeah. Well, and we were built on shows, too. And I know you launched things like Larev and I mean, we're built on live music, spectacular theaters. Uh, is do you think that will survive through it, and just got to find a different way to make it work? I mean, so I guess so. The, my big question off that would be just because so many people wonder, and you can give your opinion or not, but do you think we will bounce back and be as strong? I do. I, I think there'll be some creative destruction. I think some things will fail. Some business models will fail, but I think, uh, um, you know, we'll bounce back as a city. Um, and, and what that final footprint looks like, I don't know, but, but I think shows were, ticketed entertainment was already going through, um, you know, some growing pains because you had, you know, the headliner area era, the Sinatra's giving way to the Cirques, but then you had the Cirques giving way to the DJs. And then now we're kind of at this, you know, arms race of like, what do consumers want? And, you know, back in the, the early 2000s, you would build an 1800 seat theater because you'd mm -hmm. expect a, bro a Broadway show to come and sit down. Now mm -hmm. people are building nothing less than a 5,000 seater because that's what you have to build to make a, a Lady Gaga pencil mm -hmm. out in terms of economics. So, um, you know, so there's always this, you know, uh, maturation process where things will, will fail and start to uh, peter out. But, but, you know, now, you know, those A-list headliners in a 5,000 seat theater is popular as are the bigger arenas with sports and, and um, you know, so, um, so it's just naturally gonna evolve and, uh, you know, esports is going to take shape and, and just the consumer tastes are going to change naturally. And this probably is a catalyst 
to yeah. to have things change, you know, a little bit faster. Because I don't know who's going to mount the thirty million dollar show and take mm -hmm. a risk on you know one set of content when consumer tastes are just changing rapidly. And and speaking of esports, this is an arena where where Las Vegas is kind of just dipped its toe in the water. Do you do you think that that's going to be something that really does start to to take off in in a big way in the next in the coming months and in years? It'll become the hub of brand events, product launches, competitions uh, because you have basically you have the ability to potentially bet in real time on esports and you have the ability to, to have venues like Sphere, which would have this technology and the ability to host thousands, um, you know, and you have 150,000 hotel rooms seven minutes from an airport. No city has that. It's really unmatched. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really a tremendous opportunity. Well, you are local. You've lived here uh, a long time, and I know you have a lot of experience on the board uh, with After School All-Stars and Nevada Public Radio, and you're also right now looking to help local businesses, right? You're doing something that's really cool, offering some some free services. Yes, yes. So I I pledged a few weeks ago to help the 25% of my billable consulting hours between now and the end of the year to help a, a main street business locally that I, I normally wouldn't work with because I, I tend to work with larger companies. Um, mm. But basically strategy, marketing operations, expertise, just on a pro bono basis, just to help them, you know, pivot their business, get through this, this COVID crisis. Maybe they have government money that they need to deploy uh, in order to kind of uh, determine what the new normal is, but, you know, totally pro bono business, um, you know, just, just want to help. Um, I have one business I'm meeting with today that I'm, that I've pledged to help, uh, that has locations in Henderson and Summerlin. Um, and I have uh, bandwidth to help one or two more. And, okay. uh, but I just really want to help and maybe some strategy advice, some marketing advice will allow a business to deploy, you know, uh, capital in the right way or deploy their resources in the right way and really get through it um, and, and come out better on the other side. And and Name, I know that um, an offer like that is probably something that where where you could be flooded with uh, <laughs> with interest. But is there a good way if somebody thinks that they are a good candidate to to link up with you and um you know take advantage of this amazing opportunity is there a best way to to get in touch and um at least start a conversation yeah they can go to my website launchlv.com and they can uh use the form on my website launchlv.com and just uh that'll get right to me and then uh i'll follow up with a phone call we'll see if we're a good fit um but you know Sometimes people are so busy running the business, trying to keep the lights on, they don't really take a step back and they think about, you know, what what image am I putting forth to the market? Which products are the most successful? You know, does this marketing spend actually have a return on investment? Um, are there any partnerships I can strike that will help me take, take me to the next level? Um, and I've been doing that for publicly traded companies for my whole career. And now, yeah. you know, to do it, help a main street business, um, just get through. I'd love to do that. My wife's a kid's dentist, so she's dealing with, 
this whole thing of going back to seeing patients and, right. and um, you know, I, I like the macro, but I also like the micro. So I, I definitely want to help. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, speaking of that, how can people, because I think a lot of people I even see on social media saying, oh, I miss Vegas. I want to come back. Then we've got the locals and we have, like you said, small businesses and we have some restaurants that have been here a long time that have already had to close their doors. What can we all do to support Las Vegas? Because people are also struggling with their own money right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Vegas will always be a value-based destination. The, the, the cost benefit of Vegas is, is so much higher than other cities because of the weather, the, the luxury, the size of the hotel rooms. Your dollar is going to go further even you know now, and it's going to go further later. But I think the best thing to do, keep tabs on Vegas, you know, keep in touch with these companies, get on their email list. They'll let you know when there's an offer. The casinos are going to extend offers locally, regionally, and to their database. And they're going to say, come back to us. And you may be able to get a luxury hotel at a significantly reduced price. And you realize the value of that. You should seize on it. And you should help Vegas get back on its feet. And, you know, Vegas is going to lead the way in cleanliness. It's going to lead the way in guest service. It's going to continue to lead the way coming out of this crisis. Um, and so it's just like any luxury good. If you see a Louis Vuitton handbag on sale yeah. with they never have sales, you're going to jump on it. If you right. see a luxury resort on the strip that never has sales and all of a sudden you're able to get it half off, you know, take a chance and, and seize on it. And that'll keep a lot of people employed and that'll get a lot of, uh, you know, data to help the casinos adapt their product down the road. And, uh, you know, I, I think people are going to, you know, have a flight to quality and Vegas offers quality relative safety versus going abroad for American traveler. And I think, uh, I think people are going to dip their toe in the water pretty quickly back in Vegas. And, um, you know, we got the Raiders, we got the golden Knights. If things return to normal, you know, Vegas has a product mix that really no city can match. Right. Well, as we, as we move through uh, reopening, we'll we'll stay in touch because I know that there's going to be a, a lot to talk about in regard to reopening, but specifically um, with the Sphere and other projects that that you're working on as well. We do appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about everything Vegas. Mm, yeah, I love this city. It's become my home. I, I love the the entrepreneurial nature of it. I love the fact that it's really just a small town, um, you know, and, and meeting people like yourselves over the years that have come out and supported, you know, my launches on the strip through the news pro news gathering process. I really appreciate all the, the coverage you've given us over the years yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm happy to help. And I heard that heated pickleball discussion you had the other day. <laughs> I, I want to weigh in because I'm a tennis player and everybody's asking me to start to play pickleball. And I'm a little bit torn uh, <laughs> because my knees are still good enough to run around a tennis court. But pickleball is like kind of like the retirement community of tennis courts. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've never played. I still got to get out there and do it. But it, it's it's a hot commodity right now, apparently. So it, it well, we'll all have is, to play. It's fun. It, is. it looks fun. It looks fun. I love it. Well, listen, I appreciate you listening to Vegas Revealed. I appreciate you coming on and great insight for us today, uh, Nami. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nami. All right. <laughs> well, we learned a lot today, as always, Sean. 
Yeah, we did. It's a really interesting insight about, you know, what the future of, of Las Vegas might look like and how we'll get people to come back here and, and get it back up and running as a premier tourist destination. That's right. And just so everyone knows, we are going to post a video version of this interview on our website. And we've got a lot of other stuff on there, too. It's Vegas-Revealed.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors once again, The Blind Pig. It's on Dean Martin, just west of the Las Vegas Strip. They're still open for pickup and delivery. Your next meal, think about The Blind Pig. All you have to do is give them a call. The number is 725-214-4474. Again, 725-214-4474. That's the blind pig. Also, a thank you to offthestrip.com, your source for everything off the strip. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope you have a great week. Who wants to live forever when we can have